Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm David Bond and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. So the stage has been set for the next and potentially decisive act of Brexit after the UK Parliament voted to back a December the 12th election and the EU formally signed off a delay to Britain's departure until January the 31st. I'm here with Laura Hughes, our parliamentary correspondent, and Sam Fleming, our Brussels bureau chief, to discuss what happens next. First, though, let's hear what Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, and Jeremy Corbyn, the opposition Labour leader, had to say about this week's events. We are left with no choice but to go to the country to break free from this impasse and to allow us all to submit, as we must, in all humility to the judgment of the electorate and to allow us to make our case and, above all, to allow a new and revitalised parliament with a new mandate to deliver on the will of the people and get Brexit done. Because that new parliament, in just a few weeks' time... We are ready for an election. We're going to go out there with a very strong message of how we transform our society to end inequality and injustice and deal with the devastating poverty that so many people face. We always said we wanted an election. We do want an election, but we wanted no deal to be taken off the table. We've now had confirmation from all 28 EU member states that no deal is off the table, so we're going to go out there with the biggest campaign this party has ever mounted. Totally united, totally determined. So, Laura, Boris Johnson failed to achieve his do-or-die mission of leaving the EU by the end of this month, but he has got the election he wanted. He hopes to win a stronger mandate for his Brexit deal, but we've heard this all before, haven't we? We have heard this from Theresa May. She, of course, called an election in 2017 because she did the same calculations that the Prime Minister's team has done and realised she needed a majority to get a Brexit deal through Parliament. So we have heard this before, but it's different because Theresa May didn't actually have a deal. Boris Johnson can go out to the country and say, look, look what I negotiated. It appeared to have the numbers, but the opposition parties thwarted me. Give me now the opportunity to come back and get Brexit done within a matter of weeks if you give me the numbers that I need. But how badly damaged do you think he is by the fact that he didn't deliver Brexit by the 31st of October, as he promised many, many times while he was campaigning to be leader and thereafter? It's a hugely risky thing what the Prime Minister has done because in an ideal world, he would have gone straight into an election having delivered Brexit. Because he hasn't, he has left himself very vulnerable, particularly to the threat of Nigel Farage and the Brexit party. They're going to argue that Britain should just leave the EU without a deal and that could split the right-wing pro-Brexit Tory vote. And then also you've got Labour, who are going to use this as an opportunity to talk about things like the NHS. And they're going to argue that the Prime Minister's Brexit deal, as it is, is a threat to the National Health Service and also to workers' rights. So he's very vulnerable there. And of course, the Liberal Democrats, the sole message they are going to be going out with on the doorsteps is vote for us and we will revoke Article 50. We will stop Brexit altogether. Had the Prime Minister delivered Brexit before this election, you would have really eradicated the threat of the Liberal Democrats and the Brexit Party. He has failed to do this. So this is incredibly risky for him. So, of course, we're at the start of the campaign. We're in this phony war period before Parliament is dissolved next week. As we look at it now, what sort of positions are each of the parties in as they start this campaign? So Labour's position on Brexit is 
particularly muddled and incredibly complicated. They will be telling voters that they will go back if elected with a majority and renegotiate a Brexit deal that's good for workers and has high environmental workers' rights standards. And then they will put that to the public in the form of a second referendum. They will then have to make a call themselves as to whether or not they will campaign for their newly negotiated deal they say they'll be able to get or to remain in the EU, which is something that a lot of Labour Party members want. That's quite tricky to explain on the doorsteps. The Tories will be saying, look, we've got this deal. Boris Johnson's deal is the way forward. And as I mentioned, the Brexit Party will be saying, we don't need a deal. We can crash out without one. This has taken long enough and it's got ridiculous. And the Liberal Democrats will be saying, we will revoke Article 50. This is a chance to stop Brexit. Vote for us and it's not going to happen at all. So Sam, in Brussels, I imagine there's a great deal of excitement about the UK election. Is that right? Uh, I think there is fevered excitement, yeah, and curiosity as to what's going to happen. I think it's obviously an extremely difficult election to call for all the reasons that Laura's just been spelling out for us. I think there's also a certain amount of relief. The EU has been mired in these negotiations with the UK for obviously a number of years. Uh, we've finally now reached a point where they have an exit deal with the UK, which they said they're not going to renegotiate. And they have a UK election, which we'll have to see, but hopefully could unblock the deadlock that exists in the UK Parliament, which could potentially then lead to a ratification and exit by the 31st of January. So for all those reasons, the EU officials and diplomats we speak to certainly expressing a little bit of optimism about this story, finally, that there could be a resolution around the corner. The EU leaders in the end agreed to yet another extension without too much argument. Do you think this will be the last time that the UK gets an extension on Brexit? Very difficult to call. They haven't explicitly ruled out another extension as such. No one wants another extension. There was a certain amount of foot dragging leading up to this decision by France in particular. Emmanuel Macron, the extension in the spring of this year, was very reluctant to a long extension and pulled it back to the 31st of October. This time he was also expressing private concerns about yet another extension in the end. France signed up to the extension to the 31st of January in the hopes that this would finally settle the matter, which is the position of all the other EU member states. They really don't want this thing to drag on too long. Why is that? Well, first of all, if there is a ticking clock, it could maintain a bit of pressure on the UK Parliament to make up its mind about what kind of Brexit settlement it wants. The EU also doesn't want these negotiations to drift on endlessly into 2020 because it's got its 21 to 27 budget deal to settle. This is a very fraught negotiation about the spending that goes into the EU to fund its functions and the contributions by individual member states. It's a pretty difficult debate at the best of times, but it's made doubly uncertain by the fact that, in theory at least, the UK will not be contributing to that seven-year budget because it won't be a member. But there are these continued uncertainties as to when the UK will finally leave the EU. Could there be another referendum? Could there be even an extremist reversal of the Brexit decision, which then makes it hard to settle the budget outlook because the UK is such a big contributor to the EU budget? So they don't want these Brexit uncertainties to stretch deep into 2020 because it'll just make it very difficult to decide the basic parameters of EU spending. What conditions did the EU actually impose upon the UK in agreeing the extension? Can you maybe tell us a bit more about those? Well, it's been called in the media a flex extension. It's actually no different from previous extensions. The uh, extension runs the end of January, which was the period mandated in the Ben Act, which prompted Boris Johnson to request the extension this month. 
But obviously, if there is a ratification of the withdrawal agreement before that date, then the UK can leave at the beginning of the subsequent month. So it's not certain that the departure date will be 31st of January. Given the timing of the election, it's highly likely, however, that the full period of the extension will be needed. The EU definitely is making it clear it doesn't want to reopen the negotiations. It's made that abundantly clear. It believes that the current withdrawal agreement is the agreement that the UK has signed up to, and it doesn't want to reopen those talks. There are also conditions on the extension to do with the UK effectively fulfilling its obligations as a member state not being disruptive to EU business. That's a basic treaty obligation because the UK will remain a member of the EU during that period, so it has to behave like any other EU member state during that time, but they put that in black and white. And there's this question of whether the UK will have to appoint a commissioner. Now, the current commission is due to end within the next month or so. The new commission potentially could take office beginning of December, although there's talk that that might have to be delayed because of some wrangling over the full roster of commissioners that need to be appointed. However, if the UK's membership of the EU drags into the new year, at some point there'll be a question mark as to whether the UK needs to appoint a new commissioner. That person would then need to be subject to approval in the European Parliament. I think that's a situation everyone wants to avoid if possible, but it could become an issue towards the end of the year. Laura, of course, one of the things which Boris Johnson has been talking about is perhaps getting a good majority in this election and then potentially delivering his Brexit even earlier than January the 31st. Yes, he's talking about delivering it within two weeks of coming back and sitting in the House of Commons. He did want to have this all done and dusted before Christmas, but I just think that looks really hard and it looks almost impossible that he'd be able to get the legislation through if, hypothetically, he does come back with a majority, which is absolutely not certain at this point. So do you think this election will be all about Brexit or do you think... A bit like with the snap election in 2017, actually, it was supposed to be about Brexit. It ended up being about other things and taking a slightly different course. Well, the Prime Minister would like this to be about Brexit, but the Labour Party know that when it comes to issues like the NHS, they actually poll very high with the public and they are going to want to talk about domestic issues and they're going to want to show the divide between the two main parties. And because the Prime Minister hasn't done Brexit, there are issues still related that the Labour Party will probably seize on. So, for example, our colleague Jim Pickard wrote a story. He got a leaked memo that basically suggested the Conservatives might not uphold or strengthen workers' rights or environmental standards post-Brexit. I would expect Jeremy Corbyn to go very heavily on that. And also the NHS, there are huge fears among Labour and the public that Labour will want to capitalise on that the NHS could be on the table in any post-Brexit trade deal with America. So, The NHS could be really brought into that. And we saw in Wednesday's PMQs, Jeremy Corbyn used nearly all of his six questions to talk about the NHS because he knows that Labour does well with that. And because of broadcasting rules, if Boris Johnson just continues to talk about Brexit, if Labour uses all their ad time to discuss issues like social care and the NHS, they will have to be given that time and their message will be broadcast and that's really important. So I think, yes, fundamentally this is about Brexit, but if I was Jeremy Corbyn, I would be trying to make it about other domestic issues. And of course, a lot of the public here are bored of hearing politicians talk about Brexit and actually having someone knock on your door and discuss other things like schools, policing, healthcare could actually do very well. And we underestimated Labour last time and because 
Boris Johnson is going in with a high expectation of doing well. In some ways, it's easier for Jeremy Corbyn. And he does manage to galvanise a lot of people. We've seen it before. We've seen him be underestimated. So I wouldn't even begin to presume that this is just going to be a walkover for Boris Johnson. Well, he certainly looked energised after the announcement came yesterday, didn't he? Well, look, final question for both of you. Look into your crystal balls now. What do you think is going to happen over the next five weeks? And do you think, Sam, come to you first, is there an end finally in sight to this saga of Brexit? I think the answer to that is no. And that's not a call by me on the election or indeed on the exact exit date, if it happens, of the UK from the European Union. It's a call on the broader prognosis. So say the UK leaves by the end of January That is not the end of the Brexit process by any means because the UK then needs to sit down and figure out what its relationship with the EU is going to look like for the coming decades. That will be an extremely laborious and complex process of negotiation with the rest of the EU, which could take many years and certainly will take longer than the few months that we have until the end of 2020, which is the current end to the transition period, if it is not extended, that is. So I think the idea that getting Brexit done is something that you can do in the matter of months, I think is somewhat misleading because Brexit is a long process and part of that process is forging a new relationship with the EU as a third country, as the UK will be called. And that, as I said, is just a very, very long and complex business. Laura, can you give us some reason to be cheerful? Not really. I think there is a real possibility the Lib Dems could fracture the Labour and Tory vote the Brexit party could fracture the Tory vote. And there is absolutely no guarantee we're not going to come back to Parliament with another unstable, unsolid Parliament. And maybe no party is going to get the majority. Boris Johnson won't get what he wants. And we're going to enter this paralysis yet again. You never know. But I really believe this is going to be one of the most divisive elections that we've seen in years. And it is so unpredictable. It's sort of exciting from my perspective, but I'm sure the public just want everything to move on and for there to be some clarity at the end of it. Yeah, maybe a Christmas wish beyond our politicians. Well, look, thanks very much to Laura and thank you to Sam and thanks very much to you for listening. We've launched a new podcast this month called The Rackman Review, a weekly look at global affairs by the FT's chief foreign affairs commentator, Gideon Rackman. The show takes in some of the interviews with decision makers and analysts he meets in his travels around the world and will also draw on the FT's great network of foreign correspondents. It's exclusively for FT subscribers, so if that's you, please go to ft.com slash Rackman Review and sign up for a taste of the global political debates that Gideon writes about in his columns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.